You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long time. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! Having the right world view. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. This is Pastor Monty, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh, and we are going to continue in our discussion of uh, Colossians chapter 2, and uh, also cover various other subjects today, but let's jump right in, uh, in the Christ Factor. In chapter 2 of Colossians, we left off, basically, the Apostle Paul is beginning to assert um, a theological position for uh, understanding who we are as a body of Christ and what we can understand, particularly in light of the, uh, the, the teaching that surrounded the church there at Colossae. Gnosticism, and so we we left off at uh, verse eight uh, of chapter two, and so where uh, the apostle Paul was talking about uh, deceptive and empty philosophies, and uh, and uh, that our focus should be on Christ, and then he picks up in verse nine, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with not a circumcision performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Let's just uh, hold there for a second and go back and just take a look at this scripture. So remember that one of the issues that the Gnostics had was that there, there, there were two different ways in which the Gnostics practiced um, Gnosticism. One was, one was uh, um, asceticism uh, because they did not believe that the, uh, that the flesh was of any value whatsoever. 
And so they would try to deny uh, the flesh uh, in lieu as in, in, in trying to get this uh, special knowledge or gnosis that they were attempting to achieve in this philosophy. The other uh, way to approach it, so, so the Gnostic basic would, would deny everything about the flesh. Some Gnostics would even go to the extent of burying themselves in the ground even so that the, uh, they didn't have to deal with their body. Um, and there are people who still practice this type of asceticism even today in the East. Um, the other version, which <laughs> which most of the Greeks and Romans uh, flocked to, was if the body is of no value whatsoever, then um, let her rip. Uh, better known as uh, hedonistic Hellenism, <laughs> right? But, but they, uh, the if the body is of no value, indulge absolutely anything and everything having to do with the body. Wild uh, sexual orgies, getting drunk, and uh, and uh, not just really caring whatsoever about how you took care of your body because it is of no value. Those were the two predominant ways that uh, Gnostics approached dealing with uh, with the body, the physical, the body. That a good summary? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just say that. What we need to understand about the proto-Gnostic movement, like the early Gnosticism, is um, just like even like Christianity today, um, but more so, um, it, it wasn't monolithic in nature. Right. So it was very much sectarian in the sense that you had these teachers. They probably didn't even call themselves Gnostics. That's like a later term. But you had these teachers that like came along and they taught various things. And usually, because of the way that Gnosticism is, where it's apprentice to master, right. uh, it was a sect based upon a charismatic personality, whether it's Montanus or Valentinus or, you know. So, why, so the reason why it was dangerous to believers then is because uh, of the idea of uh, uh, a teacher and discipleship. Yeah, and you would have these Gnostic teachers that would have their own groupings of disciples. Well, now is the pull, right? Like that's what Paul is kind of addressing when he um, tells people that it's dangerous for them to uh, pay attention to the super apostles, right? Um, and that the gospel isn't uh, Paul versus Apollos, um, yes. and he even goes so far. First as, Corinthians, yes. yeah, and he even goes so far as to say. Um, uh, don't even listen to one who says, I only follow Christ. Um, let me pull that up while, you, while we talk about it. Because what you have with Christ is this open discipleship um, where he starts everything and then it spreads outward as opposed to it's one continual line of apostolic uh, authority or apostolic succession, right, basically. Right. Roman Catholicism, for uh, example. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull up that verse because I know it sounds whatever while you... Sure. So, so you can understand then why the, the early Christians remember that... Well, maybe you don't remember, but let me, let me just remind you. We have talked about this before, but the, the, as the church was, was uh, in its infancy, yeah, they, they, were, they were developing 
um, what we what we would come to understand to be a systematic theology, and and uh, after the apostles all died off. So you had the letters from the apostles, for example. But even there, there was controversy about who were what, and the the Bible, they didn't have a Bible per se. They had letters from various apostles, but there hadn't been any type of a canon established. That came later. So the church, in the time of the apostle Paul, was still very much in its infancy um, trying to figure out some of the... Uh, the the what we take for granted today as systematic theology, uh, a systematic way of looking at uh, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, uh, was He God, was He man? You know these types of issues, which we have for us embedded in Scripture, a developed systematic theology through the ages. But in Paul's day, that wasn't true. And so they were constantly so. Um, There's constantly a struggle to um, come to these things, which yeah, which we take for granted now. So here, the apostle Paul is basically saying, that, and and his statement here is very important because he's basically saying, putting those who were following a Gnostic teaching, that for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ. You have been brought to fullness. So he is basically saying, which just uh, which ran contrary to the, uh, the teachings in Gnosticism, he is basically saying that the physical person of Jesus Christ, fully God, um, was, uh, is who our, our allegiance is to, and we understand who God is through the physical person of Jesus Christ. Let me back up my earlier statement. Just yeah, go is. ahead. Yeah, you uh, okay. okay, so 1 Corinthians 1, 12. Um, some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter. Or I follow only Christ. Right. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I Paul crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And you know he he goes on. So just just the point there. That's starkly different than the Gnostic mentality. And even some Christians nowadays will say, you know, um, I follow Christ, but I reject uh, the church. That's right. you know, like believe it or not. That's a form of Gnosticism, yeah. even though we don't recognize it because we think if we follow Christ and Christ alone, uh, sola, sola Christus, basically, then it's fine. But you can't do that because we, the church, are the body of Christ. Right. And so right there, like I think, and, and I think that's kind of a, a crazy thing that a lot of Christians will make that statement. Like, I, I can reject these people but still be a follower of Christ. It's not how that works. Right. Anyway, so continue. Yeah, well, yeah, it reveals a lack of understanding of how the body of Christ functions to begin with. I just felt like I needed to to back that one up because I think some people might push back on that and be like, what? Yeah, no. It's not okay for you to only follow Christ? No, it's not. No, you're right on top of it, Josh. Good job. So um, so the the issue is that the Apostle Paul is is, uh, claiming... Again, I'll read it for you. For in Christ, all the fullness of of the deity lives in bodily form. See, he's making a statement there. 
all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. So because of who Jesus Christ is, the fullness of God in bodily form, we are brought to God, and we are also in the fullness of who he is because of Jesus Christ. He is making an overt attack as it were, against Gnostic theology here. Oh, yeah, 100%. He's, he's showing his cards here. Yeah, he says. And then, then he describes who Christ is. He says, for Christ is the, uh, the head of every power and authority. See, in Gnosticism, there was a, 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 a downward, I don't know how you'd say it. There was a, it, it, was, it was top down, so you had... Uh, knowledge or true knowledge at the top and then as you got further which was considered deity and then as you got further away from that it became less and less and there were there were uh, other powers and other authorities in the world yeah the description is of light it's called an emanation yes and those emanations became lesser and lesser as they got further away all the way down to us Exactly. Where we are creations and we are no longer creatures of light. Although there's a whole thing about the divine spark and, you know, having to return to the source and all that. But. So then he says here, and he also follows us up. Just in watch other, The Matrix. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, he also follows this up in other passages um, where he talks about uh, the eminence, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. For he is the head over every power and authority over every power and authority. In other words, Jesus Christ is the final, um, he, is, he is it. Everything else answers to him. And this, this rings true uh, for believers today. You really need to hang your hat on this. This rings true to all the things that we see going on with uh, philosophies and theologies mm-hmm. and all the things, the myriad of, uh, of things that are out there today. All of these things must be submissive to Jesus Christ. Uh, I like, Josh, the way that um, when you and I were talking about... Uh, about um, Buddhism, for example, mm-hmm. and the uh, the eightfold path of Buddhism, um, and you were you were ta- telling me a story about you were talking to a a Buddhist a monk, uh, a monk and 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 you agreed with him that there are many interesting and fascinating things about Buddhism. However, Buddhism is subjective to Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't happy with me at first. He was happy with me because. Um, I was agreeing with everything that he was saying. Yeah, and then and and then he was saying Jesus and Buddha are the same, yeah, and I was like, and <laughs> and I was like, well, I think that uh, you know, I think that Jesus would agree with the things that Buddha is saying about how to uh, about where we're supposed to be in terms of enlightenment, right? And I think that Buddha would fall down and worship Christ. Yes, he would. And he wasn't happy with me. <laughs> he wasn't happy with me when I said that. And that's I I uh, I know it's not a popular opinion, and I am and I believe it to be an opinion. So I want to state this really carefully. It is an opinion of mine that, given the nature of the path that Buddha was on, we're talking about Siddhartha Gautama. Okay, the I believe that he probably is in heaven. And not because he achieved enlightenment, 
but because he's one of those people who would have fallen under Abram's bosom, where he was rejecting he was rejecting the things that he was introduced to and shedding them. He was shedding, you know, Dharma and the the karmic cycle and like all of these, you know, various things of Hinduism. Yeah, perhaps we per, <laughs> per, perhaps but that means that he would have strayed from the eightfold path because in the end in Buddhism you are reincarnated once you achieve enlightenment you're well no you're not supposed to be reincarnated you're supposed to break out of the dharmic cycle and not be reincarnated you're supposed to oh once you've made yeah once you've made right right right. so if he achieved the eightfold path then he would have not done that of course then there's the whole thing of like bodhisattvas where they're like where they like they refuse to be ring or they refuse to like go into enlightenment so that they can stay behind and teach people, which is really just a convenient way of saying I didn't make it to enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> and a side note, your boy Steven Seagal is <laughs> a little on the strange. He days. is so he is legitimately considered by uh, is it the is it the the Dalai Lama? I don't know. He's legitimately considered to be a bodhisattva, like yeah. one of these people who is so enlightened, but ref- but has refused for the good of humanity. We're talking about Steven Seagal from Under Siege. For the good of humanity, he has decided that he is not going to ascend to a greater, higher plane of existence, but instead he's going to stay behind and enlighten everybody. Yeah, well, don't, don't get me wrong. Anyway. I like Steven Seagal's Oscar <laughs> movies, but he's not the epitome of enlightenment, believe me. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so uh, not to digress too far, but just to say that... that um, well, let me just finish up this part. We, we still haven't got to circumcision. Let me finish yeah. up this part by saying that, you know, I run into a lot of believers who like to say that they believe in, um, they believe in many ways to God. They believe in, in uh, a smorgasbord of we can mix this and we can mix that. And there are many paths to God. Um, no. According to Scripture, let me make it very clear, this is not my opinion, this is what Scripture says. According to Scripture, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. It is through the person of Jesus Christ that we enter into a relationship with God the Creator, and only through Jesus Christ. All others are submissive to his authority and his power. Yeah, let me clarify my earlier points about Buddha. <laughs> now I have to do a lot of clarifying here. Okay. This is, you know, it's a nuanced view, but I believe that if Buddha is with God, it's because he's worshiping Christ. Yes, and I want to be clear about that. I think he would have come to a point of understanding who Christ is, and I believe that there are many paths to Christ, but there's only one path to the Father. Right. And so I, I, just, I want to be clear about that, too. You can take a lot of roads to get to Christ. That's, why he, that's the reason why he came, was to make it easy to get to him. In fact, yeah. there's an interesting book out there. We just got an audiobook copy of it by a guy named J. Warner Wallace. He wrote um, Cold Case Christianity, and he's a detective uh, deter- turned writer, turned apologist. Oh, okay. Kind of like in the Lee Strobel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he just wrote a book called Person of Interest that is about um, the idea that Christ is so 
ingrained in culture that if you removed the if you like made the the if you got rid of the Bible completely, right? Um, you would not be able to remove Christ from culture because even his dissenters carry the gospel so strongly against him, right? That yeah. the the story would still be told. Yeah, yeah, and that's amazing assertion. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to leave uh, the Christ factor at this point. <laughs> and Maybe we'll we are, get to circumcision we, at some point. We are right. We're circling at, around it. We are right. We are right at the uh, cusp. <laughs> oh, there of, you go. <laughs> uh, of being to cut through everything. Yeah, there it is. And deal with circumcision. We just have to. We eventually, that. we got to peel it back and, and get to get, it. And we'll start that next week. <laughs> our producers, our producers are out there at the soundboard, like shaking their heads. <laughs> Get it? You get that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk about. Um, I just want to say, God made the male anatomy. Okay. You <laughs> you have no argument from me. Okay. Um, okay. Let's move on. <laughs> let's let's talk about uh, relationships. Now, in this section, we've been talking about um, various types of relationships and the importance of those relationships. And we last week, we're talking through some mechanisms, uh, how to improve communication. And, and this, is, uh, this is a side note to talking about the relationship that exists. One of the primary relationships, aside from your relationship with God, a primary relationship, the relationship with your spouse. And uh, and it is multifaceted and complex, and uh, neither I, I will assert for both of us Here that, we go. That, that neither Josh nor I are experts. I'd say I'm an expert, and I don't know. I wouldn't say I know everything, <laughs> but I know a hell of a lot. I would 100% call myself an expert. Would you? Yeah, yeah I would. Okay. Well, I don't think that anybody else would call <laughs> would call me an expert. Well, maybe that's not true either. But well, in today's culture, it's hard <laughs> to stack up uh, 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 my having a successful married cross-cultural married relationship with my wife for. Uh, 44 years uh, plus. Well, of course it is. You are white and, you know, Christian and, you know, she's a there's minority. Lot, there's so. lots of privilege there. Yeah, of course. It's got to yeah, be difficult. Yeah, okay. So, so that being said, there are mechanisms which you can use in order to make it easier to communicate uh, with your spouse. And one of the things we talk about in premarital counseling is uh, appropriate to the time we find ourselves in because it's spring and many people are uh, going to spring training because they're going to be learning how to play baseball and the game of catch. I feel like you wanted some sort of fanfare for that. I uh, know, but I don't know if she has any. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there you go. There you go. I was going to say when you said spring training, I'm like, is that a sports I was, thing? I don't I was, know. I don't know. Was I striking out? Strike one. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know bowling terminology. No, that's that's yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so uh, what? Nothing for that. So when you're playing that. catch, um, I I like to use this as a good analogy for conversation. Remember, this is a a mechanism, but I I. I like using this as a as a good metaphor for understanding 
conversation because uh, if you've ever played catch with anybody, um, it's not necessarily that easy. The idea is to take the uh, ball. You don't have to have a glove. You know, like if we're not talking like a, a baseball, yes, you need a glove because it's a harder ball. But if you're using a softball or a larger ball or, or so, but if you're playing a game of catch, uh, the object is to throw it to the other person so they can catch it and they can then throw it back to you. So the, the object of the game is for both of you to be able to be involved in the game, both the throwing and the catching in order to be successful. Now where a game of catch normally breaks down is when you have not assessed the abilities of your catching partner. And you, um, and you don't even, you, you either don't know your own abilities or you don't know the abilities of your catching partner and you misthrow the ball in several in several fashions so you can you can throw the ball uh too easily for example you ever had somebody throw a ball to you that fell four feet from where you were standing yeah that's what it's uh, like when my toddler <laughs> when my toddlers used to play yeah yeah so or you have somebody who throws the ball wildly and it goes uh, over your head and 10 feet behind you that you end up uh, running to catch it to uh, get it um, yep, that's what it's like when my ten-year-old decides to play. <laughs> you can you can throw it uh, you can throw it too fast. That's what it's like when my teenagers want to play. When when uh, <laughs> you know and, and it's hard to catch because they're so they're so hard. Uh, you can uh, you can throw the ball uh, to the left or to the right. Now that's what it's like when my wife wants to play catch. It's like I'm over here. <laughs> Now throw the ball to me, not to my, not, not to my left, not to my. Throw it to me, uh, and right. and so and be and and the thing is, before you can return the ball, uh, you need to get a hold of it, mm-hmm. and then you need to assess how you're going to return the ball to the person that you're playing with. So conversation works the same way, essentially. Um, when you're in conversation with somebody, you need to kind of assess how it is that you're going to throw out to them the piece of information that you are uh, sending. And if you study, uh, you know, if you study the dynamics of conversation, uh, you might be surprised to find out that there are between 10 and 12 different ways in meaning that somebody can take something when you throw it out there. That's the reason why last week we talked about active listening, for example, affirming that what you said to somebody, they actually heard what you wanted to communicate. Right. Uh, because uh, it can be taken so many different ways. So, so when you're throwing something out to somebody for them to catch, um, you need to take into consideration um, what it is that you're throwing to them and how it is that you're throwing to them. Are you throwing it to the left? Are you throwing it to the right? Are you throwing it right to them? Is it too hard? Is it too soft? All of those types of things have to be taken into consideration. Uh, you have to know where, what their skills are. So if, so, so if you're throwing something, for, so for example, so to carry the metaphor through, you're, you're throwing something to somebody and you're throwing it too hard. Um, what what happens when you throw something too hard at somebody 
and they shrink back and they are afraid to catch it because it's coming too fast. Well, first of all, they don't catch what it is you wanted them to, and then they get hurt and offended because you're being cruel to them because you're being too mean. Sorry, I, I just, <laughs> I'm paying attention to other comments. Sorry, sorry, we're, sorry this, well, well, there's some comments coming. Well, let's address. We're, well, we're getting comments on the wrong thread, basically. Um, <laughs> we're back in theology, are we? Circum we're back. We're back in theology. People want to know more about circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're back in theology um, in regard to my statement about many ways. Uh, um, uh, but yeah. interestingly enough, so we have a group thread uh, within our church system, um, and the people that kind of surround our church, we call ABF satellites. And for some reason, it's not. Uh, these comments are coming in there, but they're not coming into the video. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So if you can post them into the video, wherever you're watching, um, that's that's the place to comment. But the the question is, let's see. I'll just read what it says. Jesus and God are one. So how is it that there are any paths to Jesus, many paths to Jesus, but only Jesus is the only way to God? Um. Responding to Josh's comment about many ways or paths to Jesus. Honestly, I have not come across any passage regarding this, so I need clarification. Okay, so let's let's put uh, let's put for a moment uh, catch on hold. Okay, so we're gonna put the ball down, and we're gonna go back and we're let's gonna assess go, what type of ball is being thrown. Right, we're gonna just address <laughs> because I I understand where people can be a a little bit muddled in understanding what it is that you're trying to say. And I get it. That's why I tried to clarify. Why take another shot at it? Well, okay, so it's, for example, let's, let's just say, in, in to, um, the way that I took it is that I've known individuals that grew up in the church, mm -hmm. and they came to an understanding of who Christ was because they were in the church. Yeah. And because that, that was available to them. I've known people that have come to Christ after having a heavy dependency upon drugs. And they also came to Christ, but they came Christ came to Christ not through the church, but they came to Christ through His intervening in their lives and their drug dependency. I've known other people that have come to Christ through other circumstances. That's how I understood that heading. Yeah. Well, okay. When so, you say there are many paths to Christ, right? Let's I, let's just explore. I'll, I'll try to try to be brief here but let's explore the finite nature of man okay here we <laughs> i'll try to be brief let's talk about the finite nature of man and the nature of the you know. here's what it comes down to there i think that there's a misunderstanding here um when it comes to the trinity in regard to the person of christ right the person of christ is not god the father no god the father is a person and god the son christ is is a person and, and God the Holy Spirit is, is a, a person. person. Yes. Okay? God the Father has this is also a controversial statement. You ready for it? God the Father has a different will than God the Son. That's the reason why Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Not my, my will, will, but your, but will. your will yes. be done. Yes. He's a different person. Yes. Okay? Sure. Now he submits to the Father and them together is God. So that is why I was very careful to say there's only one path to God the Father that is through Christ, 
but there are many paths to Christ. And when we talk about many paths to Christ, what are we talking about? Well, the person of Christ is a uh, <laughs> is a incarnated, right, right? Right. So there's a physical meeting with Christ that can happen. There is a meeting with him in real time and real space that can happen. There is meeting with him through multiple attestations. So we're talking about not a singular um, method of meeting with him in terms of here's the prescribed way that he can be revealed to people and only this way. No. In fact, when the disciples were sent out, they weren't put through um, a monolithic schooling system for them to go out. They were each told in their own way to recount the story of who Christ was. Then on top of it, when you have Pentecost and you look at what was given, those people who then went out and talked to their people, they weren't put through a monolithic schooling system. They were told to go out and tell what they had heard and tell it in their own way. And this is one of the reasons, going back to my comment about J. Warner Wallace and his book, this is one of the reasons why Christianity is so um, hard to extinguish, is that practically every culture that has come across Christ has its own representation of Christ. If you go into ancient uh, Chinese culture, you're gonna where, where Christ shows up, you're going to find him looking like a, a Chinese person. Um, when you go into the, the Greco culture, that's what he looks like. Don't even go there. No, no. <laughs> when you go into the Greco culture, you're going to find him looking like a, a Grecian, you know? And the list goes on and on. You'll find him looking like an African. This is because Christ is hugely accessible because he is meant to be the doorway by which you get to God the Father. So you can come to God the Father through one doorway, which is Christ, but Christ himself is extremely accessible. So once you get to Christ, you can't go any further without reconciling who he is. And that's why the that's that's why when you come uh, into fellowship with new believers, one of the things that you uh, might do, I would say most of the time do, is uh, talk to each other about uh, your experience in uh, in finding Christ. Well, because it's it's unique to the yeah. individual. And and I, and I just want to throw out there: there are many people. Um, if you listen to apologists um, and their stories, there are many people. Uh, let's. I mean, I was going to go with something more uh, uh, mystical, but let's look at. Um, uh, no, I'm not going to go with <laughs> pillow guy. Let's look at Lee Strobel. Okay. Oh, okay. Lee sure. Strobel, C.S. Lewis. These okay. These guys were atheists, right? They didn't come to Christ as God. They came to Christ as crazy cult leader in ancient days, who probably wasn't resur- who who absolutely wasn't resurrected, and so on and so forth. They approached him from a negative standpoint, and they came to him. They were convinced by the evidence of who he was. Christ didn't present himself that way when he came. When he came, he presented himself as messianic, right? Yes. So he's presenting himself messianically, and there's a bunch of people who came to him that way. But then there's these other people who come to him that are convinced not by the claims of a culture, but instead by by observation. There are many ways to come to Christ. There's many people who've come out of mysticism, 
for instance, uh, I'm trying to think. There's um, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. But there's uh, right now, in fact, there's a there's an outflux, an exodus of um, Islam, where a bunch of people are having. Uh, mystical encounters with Christ that they can't reconcile with Islam, and they're they're being called out of Islam, which is really like strange. Where Christ comes to them in that. Think about Paul himself, right? Sure. Paul had a mystical Why you, encounter. Yeah. Why with are you Christ. persecuting me? Yeah, he had a mystical encounter with Christ. He didn't have a dis, uh, on earth discipleship relationship with him. Right. I, I just yeah. I know that these things are like hard because we. Um, I'm speaking to uh, an uh, <laughs> I'm speaking to an evangelical culture that has a prescribed understanding of how things should be, but there are things that we need to major on and things we need to minor on, and we do not need to major on how we get to Christ. We need to major on what we do with that information. And thus, thus the second point: uh, you can only come to a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Yes. And, and, uh, and God the Father. Yes. And, and, so, and, and eventually that extends backwards, right? Because once you, once you understand who God the Father is and that Christ and God the Father are one are in one, essence, right, right. right? Then you realize that your relationship with Christ needs the nuance. So you may come from, and we're going to deal with this with progressive Christians, right? Right where you've got these progressive Christians who have decided that there's no, they don't need to care about the nuance of who Christ is. Well, that can get them in the door to a relationship with God the Father, but once they start understanding who God the Father is, then they're going to have to go back and revisit and reconcile their relationship with Christ and either confess or repent. Um, yeah, it's just, it's much more nuanced than the black and white construct that we that we tend to have absolutely and and in the the purpose and the purpose of this podcast is to particularly look at those nuances and provide a broader understanding to the church at large as to what our relationship with christ uh foundationally is supposed to uh look at so that as you build in maturity in your faith you will be able to withstand the uh, pressures that come upon you from those that uh, that exert those pressures outside of Christ. I knew I put my foot in my mouth the moment, <laughs> the moment I said it. It's fine. It's fine. You did good. So okay. So so we're going to have to uh, pick up where we left off then with our our uh, analogy and relationships um, next week and finish uh, finish the game. Um, uh, and let's move on uh, to uh, my take. <laughs> what's that one called? Is it what's my, your take? My take, Pastor Monty's take. What? That is not what it's called. Is that not what, what's what's it called, producers? It's called here's your take. Okay, here's you, my don't, take. you don't sound my so take. you don't sound so sure either. Here's well, I'm delayed in my headphones. What's your take? What's Here's my take. Okay. We're not interested in your take. It's Pastor Monty's take. That we're <laughs> All right. Yeah, okay. Here's my take. Okay. So I was correct, which, right. which should not surprise you. Okay. Um, okay. So I, just think you're, I just think you're both wrong, which should not surprise you. <laughs> anyway. uh, all right. So we're looking at the various nuances of, of things that are happening 
in society currently today, and there are so many to choose from, oh my goodness. Um, but I decided not to talk about Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine, because that's crazy enough as it is. Uh, in Wait, I have a question Sure. about Ukraine. Yeah. Is it just me, or is that president super casual? The the president? The president of the Ukraine. Yeah. He's like wearing muscle shirts and stuff, right? Well, he, was that... a, he was a comedian. He was an entertainer before he became Really? President. Yes. Stand-up comedian. Have you ever seen that movie where Chris Rock... Uh, who is you know in the in the thing he's a comedian and he runs for president i haven't seen that but i did see where chris rock got slapped down by will i mean he took it like a man <laughs> we we won't, anyway no we won't go there okay so um there are lots of things happening though on the cultural front that many people uh may not be aware of and he's this a comedian. is the yeah yeah this is and this is huh. This is one thing that has come up. So a big, a big controversy this week that you may or may not be aware of is that uh, um, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, signed into law a law which prohibits, um, which prohibits uh, teachers and educators and what have you from presenting to uh, to three and five year olds uh, transgender type issues, and it's a controversy primarily not because because if you if you actually read the law, um, there's no mention of homosexuality, there's no mention of gays, well, there's no it? mention of any of that stuff. It's just you're, it's it, it's just that they're not supposed to teach. Yeah, they're not allowed to teach that. Well, it's, I thought it was just that they're not supposed to teach basically sex ed of any kind, you know, a, up to a certain age. Yes, yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. not even, it's not even and the, about and, that. And the parents of Florida are overwhelmingly for this. Really? And that's why he signed it into law. Except for the Disney parents, right? Well, there are some, and so, and so. That's Dis the whole Oscar so Isaacs gay, so, gay, 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 yeah, gay, yeah, gay yeah. thing. So, so there's a controversy because Disney is trying to um, is trying to force its own woke uh, position onto Florida, and DeSantis is saying, "No, mm -hmm. you're a guest here. I run this state, not you." And it's coming to okay. So with that, so in response to that, the department the Department of Justice has now issued a statement to all 50 states uh, proclaiming that any state that refuses to um, allow the discussion of uh, gender uh, issues uh, to, to the population uh, may be, uh, may be in, in violation of, um, of the 14th Amendment. Mm. And and so what we have is we have the the feds, and what that essentially means is if the, if the feds believe that you're doing that, then the Department of Justice can file suit against the state. And there are something like fourteen or fifteen now different states which have laws prohibiting uh, the schools and doctors and and whatever from taking action. Uh, in order to begin to, um, there are there are some states 
that have have even gone to the point of making it clear that um, doctors cannot secretly give right, right. hormonal treatment to um, to people that um, young people that are below uh, age without their parents' knowledge or permission, because there are states that that have have done that, and so the feds have come down on the position of the LGBT community and, and those who assert that uh, if, if somebody is really having transsexual type issues, that we need to talk to them early and get them started early in uh, the transition uh, of coming from a, a boy to a girl or, a, or a, a girl to a boy. Yeah. That's what's happening right now in our culture. And overwhelmingly, what we have is we have a large percentage percentage of individuals uh, that have gotten into these positions of power that are using their own personal um, position and biases in order to try to force uh, policy upon uh, the rest of society. Um, for example, the, the you said they're using the Fifteenth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment. So the the um, the the new head of the uh, the new head. Of, I can't remember the medical. What's the mm. the the uh, the federal department that covers medical? Uh, they have like a surgeon general. Surgeon general. Yeah, we have a surgeon general who is the first surgeon general in history that is a transgendered individual interesting and so proud of it so proud of it that uh, she he it um they um she is using her position in order to force transgendered policy upon the rest of the united states she meaning i think her name's karen now so you, a man transitioned to a female. I'm just surprised to hear you use uh, the preferred pronoun. That's why I was confused. Oh, Josh, I'm very progressive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Okay. Okay, so, so what's my take on that? Well, my take on it essentially is that we are in the midst of a major cultural war. And that we have a number of individuals who have listened. This did not start. This did not start yesterday. It didn't start when Biden took office. Uh, this started many, many years ago, where they uh, individuals within the LGBT community and those that hold the, the particular views uh, made it very clear. If you've ever read, which I'm sure many of you haven't, but if you've ever read the articles that are placed. Uh, in their uh, publications like Globe and various other um, publications that cater to their thinking, they started working on this 20 or 30 years ago. And they have been very careful about trying to get themselves into positions of power so that they might be able to um, uh, manipulate and to put, public, uh, put into public policy uh, policies which favor their particular uh, point of view. That's the reason why in the schools for the last 10, maybe 15 years, there have been, there's been a, uh, a, a concerted effort to redefine the family. So it looks like she's, she, 
It looks like that. Whatever. It, it looks like yeah, he. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean he, he's not an it. He's a male. Um, you he's know, a man. He's a male he's, who thinks he's a fe- female. He is a image bearer of God. Well, so he's sure. not an it. Um, but he uh, is was made into. Let's see, a four-star admiral, yeah. admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service Commission right. Corps. Yeah, he's the he's the head of it. Yeah, so it's not Surgeon General, but it's like something. It's that they inform the, uh, which I guess that is confusing. Surgeon General. Anyway, they inform the armed forces, like in in how they do things. That's interesting to me. Like I don't necessarily have an issue with a with a person who has issues with gender dysphoria taking office but taking office specifically to deal with medical issues is interesting because it it belies uh, a bias in how they look at um, medicine and biology and so that's a bit scary to me and 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 what we have now then is we have the Biden administration giving into um, the idea that it's it's a perfectly okay for it to be public policy in order to uh, promote uh, transgendered issues like, even amongst uh, uh, small children like I don't I don't I wouldn't have an issue with I mean I probably would based on what it belies in that person's ideology but I I didn't necess- <laughs> I wouldn't have a necessarily an issue with uh, like Oregon's governor being transgender on the basis of them being transgender, but being, uh, being, um, like a health official, it seems like that, that has some issues with, <laughs> with qualifying their, their biases in terms of how they view biology. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a large issue with, um, individuals that get into, um, positions of power uh, purely for the for the uh, idea of promoting their own uh, agendas agenda, yeah, and and uh, put, putting that upon the uh, populace. Um, how we're going to deal with that? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, we have vote them out. Well, yes, I think so, that's what's coming. I really do. And 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 that means that we may have to have shorter terms of individuals that are in office uh, because um, we're only in the. We're only in the first year of the Biden administration, and he has destroyed our our economy. Has has it only been one year? Yeah, yeah. Since Trump? Yeah. Gosh, it feels a lot longer to me. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, okay, so that's my take on that. Um, Let's talk about what's up with that as we close out our time today. Well, I got a couple of interesting ones here, and I, 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 I was uh, wrestling with, with whether I should put uh, this next one in with what's up with that or my take, um, but I chose to put it under uh, what's up with that. So there's, a, there's a, a trend, a fashionable trend right now for people that are, um, that are invited to dinner parties. Somebody, somebody's throwing. What is a, that? A dinner party? Yeah, a dinner party. Somebody's throwing a dinner party. They invite is, is people just, to come over. Is that they just have dinner? Dinner, wine. You know, spending time oh, together. That must be some sort of white thing. No, oh no, black people do it too. Okay. So do Asians. Asians love to party. That's those are just dinners. Is that a rich thing? Uh, no, maybe it's a rich thing. It's it's. 
<laughs> I think as you move, if you, uh, as you move from being poor to the upper middle class, right, it becomes a party rather than a get together. Oh, okay. Um, that being a hangout. That yeah. That being said, one of the trends that tends to be happening is that uh, you invite people to your party and they come and have a good time, and then afterwards, day or two later. A bill shows up for your portion of the meal that you partook of. I love it. I hate it. Did this happen to you? That, no, no, no. That, that, oh, okay. I saw this on a news thing we were okay. watching. Um, but the okay, so if you if I invite you and Michelle over to the house, yeah. and the kids, uh-huh. and I prepare uh, special meals for you, which I do. Um, it's been a long time, but yeah. I, I don't think that you would be. <laughs> I don't think that you would be too happy uh, with me sending you a bill for your meal. No, of course not. And and uh, and, and but it, but I but and it would not be a cheap meal. We're not cheap. Bill. We're not talking about eight or nine dollars because you're having your meal prepared by a master chef. Okay, we're talking you know twenty five dollars or more. No, that's ridiculous. For, uh, but. But that's what's happening. I would not do that. And there's a trend that out there that this has uh, now somehow become fashionable. And I'm just like, really? That well, is so no class. Are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about them uh, uh, billing people for their portion? Of, like, are they taking into account? Like, are they doing three times the amount of food cost, basically? Yeah, they didn't give a... Because I get, I get like, in the know, discussion I In the discussion I saw it, okay, let's, take, let's play the advocate for sample and say, um, you know, when you, when you prepare a meal for guests that come over, it, it's not cheap. Yeah. You know, particularly with inflation, um, it, it's costing a lot of money to get... Sure. Uh, I think Rose was telling me the other day that ninety uh, percent, nine. Uh, let's let's take maybe a uh, just a simple meal, Salisbury steak. Ninety percent uh, ground beef is uh, almost six dollars a pound. Yeah. In some places, eight dollars a pound. Yeah. So you know you so you start factoring in, you know, the inflationary expense of producing a meal for seven or eight people. Uh, you could be well into a couple hundred dollars. Well, yeah. I mean, I live communally, and we have, you know, we regularly have meals at least every weekend that have, you know, 30 people in them. So, yeah, I, I it, it's expensive. Yeah, it is expensive. So, I. So, are we saying that, that, like, is what you're seeing that these people are unknowingly being billed? Like, they don't know? Or, or is it? This is like something that's happening. Well, kind of like the, how people. You the know, trend was they didn't tips. know that they were being built. That's crazy. You know. Hmm. I mean, if if. And is it just for the cost of the food, or is it for like I said? Is it for cost of labor? Is it for cost of you know everything else? Is it three times the amount? For those of you who don't know, when well, you're doing your your when you're building your P and Ls for for a business, and you're you know getting your food and you're pricing your food, you want to you want the you want it to be three times the amount of the cost of food so that you can make proper margins and continue your business, right? Yeah, to pay for your employees and. Electricity and heating. Yeah. Is that what they're doing? All, all this stuff. It didn't go into that kind of detail. Like though. how you would do it? 
Well, I don't do that. No, you don't, but that's how you would do it. But that's you, how you, I would do it. You literally just said you're going to charge $25 a plate for... It's not going to cost you $25 a plate to feed people. Because you're getting fed by a master chef. Yes, well, I'm going... If you if you ever send me a bill like that, I'm going to send you a bill for, <laughs> for my public speaking. <laughs> Be like, I, can, you know, I came into your presence, and I'm going to bill you for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, uh, that's sad. That really, that's well, what's up. That's a tra- listen. If somebody said to me, Pastor Monty, we want you, <laughs> we want you to come over for dinner, and I'm like, well, th- well, thank you. And then two days later, I get or or they say to me, oh, and by the way, um, um, bring uh, bring ten fifty with you. That would be your cost. Well, come on. I'm like, I'm not coming. I mean, that would be your cost is kind of lame, but the I, the I, you know, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do a dinner if you want to come, bring ten dollars. You if know? you're gonna, yeah, if you're doing something like a potluck, or you're saying uh, for individuals who don't prepare food for the potluck, uh, you know, contribute five dollars or ten or what? I that's a front, and I get that. Okay, so upfront is okay. Upfront is okay because it's like you let's get the do a person, spaghetti feed. Everybody bring five bucks. Yeah, because you get the option for individuals yeah. to participate or not. But if you just surprise them, uh, no, I, li- I can guarantee. <laughs> I can guarantee you, Josh. If somebody said to me, Pastor Monty, come over for dinner, and don't forget to bring your ten bucks, I would. I would give them my four favorite words in retirement. I ain't doing that. I just think that it's also on the other side. It's like it's and, kind. It's kind if you're invited somewhere to be like, "Hey, can I bring anything, or do you need me to pay for anything?" And yes, it's always good form if you're a guest to ask, "Can I bring something?" and uh, and and ask to if they, uh, you know, if you can contribute in some way. But to assume that you're going to charge something like that, and let me just say in passing as we close off this, what's up with that? That uh, you know what. If you're going to, listen, if somebody invites me over for dinner, which let me just make clear, very few people do, but if somebody invites (laughs) me over for dinner, um, I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to be thankful that they've, you know, they've worked hard to make that meal and uh, not make an issue of uh, anything that I might deem to be not quite up to par because, uh, you know, because they've worked hard to try to to please me and I, I accept that but if you tell me i'm gonna pay for something oh that's a whole different thing i'm not i'm a whole lot more critical in uh what i'm paying for as to whether it's done correctly or not i'd just much rather be invited out <laughs> you know let's go get food or i'll buy you some food come come out with us so if you've ever thought of inviting me over for dinner and and uh, you haven't, now you're probably saying to yourself, now I know why. I don't know if I want to feed that guy or not. Just remember it's- to charge him only at cost. <laughs> don't, don't tell me I'm paying for something at all. And if you're going to cook for me, do it right, because I don't like people that don't know how to do what they're supposed to. All okay. Right. Uh, okay. Oh, my last, uh, let's close <laughs> out. Uh, what's up with that with this story? There was a couple in uh, in England. And uh, he decided that it would be nice to go to the beach and propose to uh, his beloved. And so he got down on his knee, proposed, and uh, gave her the ring, and she said yes. And they frolicked and played together. And when they got ready to leave, he discovered that his intended was a klutz, and she lost the ring (laughs) at the beach. 
So, did so they he pulled. It well, he pulled it together and said, "You know, I'm gonna um, this, not not all is not all is lost. I love you, and we'll try to deal with that." And so he uh, went to a thrift store and bought a metal detector. Huh. But the problem is, he went through a thrift store uh-huh. and bought a metal detector for less than thirty dollars, uh-huh. uh, and uh, it didn't work. Yeah. And so now, uh, not being deterred. Uh-huh. He said, all right, I got one more plan. I'll contact the, uh, the Facebook metal detector group. What? The Facebook metal detector group. I suppose, local, I suppose the, that makes sense. Lots of, lots of people love to metal detect on the beach. I mean, as one does. So he uh, contacted the group, and a, a member of the group saw his post and uh, said, wow. Here's an opportunity for me to actually do something useful with my metal detector. Oh, no. And she, uh, she came down, and she helped them, and they, they found the ring. And then she charged them for she, it. No, she didn't charge oh. them. She didn't <laughs> That's charge what them I thought was going to happen. But, but uh, a benefit of the... No, so I'm just saying that, you know, the, the guy... So we found out a couple things. First of all, that the guy is going to marry a klutz. Uh-huh. Second, that uh, she should be happy because she's getting somebody who's really resourceful. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, because it was a uh, high quality metal detector, mm-hmm. um, she found out that her ring is r- truly gold. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Metal detectors detect gold. They detect any kind of, and and the high class metal detectors, they can tell you whether it's iron or whatever it is. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Interesting. Yep. All right. That's all I got for today. All right then. Uh if you're someone who is seeking answers, you want to know more about your faith. Oh, I just uh wanted to throw out there um I, I something something was bugging me about the discussion on catch, and you know what it is. I don't think people know catch. Really? Well, I know that you come from a generation where they didn't have televisions, and to keep warm, they had to throw potatoes at each other. But that being said... Hot potatoes. Right, hot potatoes. And they had to walk uphill both ways in the snow. (laughs) Anyway, um, but that being said, this generation is notorious for staying indoors and not doing anything. Oh yeah. So I yeah, think true. I think you might have to work on that analogy because I think it might not I don't know that they will understand it in the future. Wow. Well, you might you might have to help me. I'm racking my brain there. That's a tough one. It's got to be something so, like do you send a gif when another person is sending a <laughs> you know. So that's what it, it's got to be. So if any of you out there have some suggestions help Pastor Josh and I figure out um, what would be likened to playing catch for today's generation? When you're sending a message, do you send it in all caps? Do you use an emoticon or do you send a GIF? <laughs> that's that's what it would be, something like that. Wow. Producer Jasmine is not amused, I can tell. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> all righty. If you're someone who's seeking answers, you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, check out the help tab. Uh, check us as, Yeah, check us out at abfpdx.org. Um, this show, The Truth Time with Pastor Monty Podcast, is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and we are part of its Vigilance Radio Network, which is 
uh, the web portal for ABF to provide helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at, and at large. If you're one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. You can find it at YouTube, um, ABF's Facebook page, all of that. Take a second to do that so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. Uh, we have shows that you can always check out. You can check out Culture Insanity. We just did the whole Will Smith slap thing. We uh, did. Uh, we have Bible with Pastor Adam every Wednesday at 9.15 a.m. Uh, yeah, we got this show. We always have things going on. We also have our weekly sermon, which is always taking place. Um, so check that out. Right now we're doing an interesting study on forgiveness. So all of those things. But this show in particular happens every Tuesday at 11 a.m. I am Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigil.